Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 64 of the Money Love Podcast. I am really excited for this week's episode because we're going to be diving into a topic that I get asked about a lot from you guys. I know that for many of you, this is a point of a lot of frustration and contention within your relationships. And I often get asked the question, how do I deal with my spouse or even someone else who spends money on X or who continues to spend money on X? And essentially, I don't agree with it. You feel that he or she shouldn't be spending money on a certain expense, or you're frustrated over the amount of money that they're spending on a certain expense. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. And I do want to say I have been battling a bit of a pesky head cold that just won't seem to go away. So if I sound a little stopped up and phlegmy, it's because I am, but we're just going to go with it this week. So before we dive into the content this week, I do want to say this. Even if you're not married, I want you to know that despite your relationship status, this episode is still going to be relevant to everybody, whether you're married, in a relationship, engaged, or you're not in a relationship. We all have people in our life who we look at their spending choices or their money choices, and we don't agree with it. We don't approve of it. This can be a spouse, a significant other, a sibling, a parent, a friend. So don't write off this episode if you're not married because you think you can't apply what we're going to be talking about today. You can. I decided to name this episode Your Spouse's Spending Choices because A, it just has a nice ring to it. And B, I do find that the spousal relationship is the relationship where someone else's spending choices can cause the most frustration and annoyance because for many married couples, money is a shared resource. So your spouse's spending decisions can feel like they have a much deeper and significant impact to your personal financial situation than others. But again, the coaching tools that I'm going to be giving you today can be applied to any relationship that you have. So I have mapped out three main steps of coaching that I want to give you today that I know will really help those of you that are feeling frustrated and maybe even discouraged when it comes to your spouse's spending choices. I can say that I have personally done a lot of work in this area with Ryan, and the coaching I'm going to be giving you today has been the coaching that has been most impactful to me in this area. So when it comes to money, Ryan and I do have a lot of shared beliefs, and we have a similar risk profile, which, yes, can make things easier when making joint financial decisions. But, but... <laughs> There are also a lot of areas where we do not see eye to eye. I promise you that there are countless instances where Ryan spends money on something and I don't understand it. I think it's dumb. I personally never would have spent money on that same item or experience. And because of that, I have done a lot of work here and I have gotten a lot of coaching on this. And I have to say it really has made a world of difference in our relationship. With these tools that I'm going to give you today, you are going to be equipped to be in a state of understanding rather than confusion over the choices that your spouse is making. You're going to be able to approach them from a place of curiosity rather than criticism. 
And although the point of these tools is not to get you to change your mind, to get you to change your beliefs or your viewpoint, these tools will help you take something that many people use as a point of further divide in the relationship, and it will allow you to turn it into an opportunity, actually, to deepen the connection and the financial intimacy within your relationship. So we have a lot to cover today. I'm just going to dive right in. The first principle that I want you to give some consideration to when it comes to the decisions your spouse makes around money or anyone that you're in a relationship with that makes around money is realizing that they are not crazy. They're not crazy. And this principle applies to any and all money decisions, not just how they choose to spend money. But I need you to realize that your spouse isn't crazy. Now, Here's the other really good piece of news. You're not crazy either. In fact, when it comes to the viewpoint and the beliefs that we all have around money, no one is crazy. Money fights and money problems are one of the leading causes of divorce in marriages today. And I think that one of the main reasons for this is that two people come into a relationship and when it comes to money, they think that their way is the highway. And this can be really hard. And a tricky thing about money is that many of us think about money as a very logical black and white resource. And truly, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Money is 90% emotional, 10% logical. But many of us act like money is 90% logical and 10% emotional. And because of this, many of us think that there is a right way to do things with money and there's a wrong way to do things with money. That there are certain things that you should spend your money on and certain things that are just a complete waste of money and you shouldn't spend your money on. And with money, we all fall into this trap of thinking that money is just math. It's just black and white numbers. And sure, yes, there is a mathematical reality to money. But because we primarily think about it in that way, we also fall into the mental trap of there's a right way, which typically is our way, right? And then there's a wrong way, which is your way which is the spouse's way, if there's a difference in opinion there. But here's the truth. The truth is that human beings are not rational, logical beings. We are emotional beings. We think about and we are taught about money in ways that are too much like physics. We learn about all the rules and all the laws and all the numbers of money, but we're not taught about money enough like psychology with all the emotions and the nuances that come with it. And we are all going around thinking that we are making decisions about money that are rational and that are backed by logic, but most of the time, we're not. Most of the time, our money behaviors and our money choices are highly emotional, and that includes you and your spouse. So I want to read you an excerpt from one of my favorite personal finance books, The Psychology of Money. I've read you some of this book in past episodes, but the very first chapter in the book is a chapter that is titled, You're Not Crazy. And I think he does the most fantastic job of making this point in the book. So I'm going to read you what he has to say. He says this, let me tell you about a problem. It might make you feel better about what you do with your money unless judgmental about what other people do with theirs. People do some crazy things with money, but no one is crazy. Here's the thing. People from different generations, raised by different parents who earned different incomes and held different values, 
in different parts of the world, born into different economies, experiencing different job markets with different incentives and different degrees of luck, learned very different lessons. Everyone has their own unique experience with how the world works, and what you've experienced is more compelling than what you've learned secondhand. So all of us, you, me, everyone, go through life anchored to a set of views about how money works, and that varies widely from person to person. What seems crazy to you might make sense to me. The person who grew up in poverty thinks about risk and reward in ways the child of a wealthy banker cannot fathom if he tried. The person who grew up when inflation was high experienced something the person who grew up with stable prices never had to. The stockbroker who lost everything during the Great Depression experienced something the tech worker basking in the glory of the late 90s can't imagine. The Australian who hasn't seen a recession in 30 years has experienced something no American ever has. On and on, the list of experiences is endless. You know stuff about money that I don't and vice versa. You go through life with different beliefs, goals, and forecasts than I do. That's not because one of us is smarter than the other or has better information. It's because we've had different lives shaped by different and equally persuasive experiences. Your personal experiences with money make up maybe point zero 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 one of what's happened in the world, but maybe 80% of how you actually think the world works. Every decision people make with money is justified by taking the information that they have at the moment and plugging it into their unique model of how the world works. Those people can be misinformed. They can have incomplete information. They can be bad at math. They can be persuaded by rotten marketing. They can have no idea what they're doing. They can misjudge the consequences of their actions. Oh, can they ever. But every financial decision a person makes makes sense to them in that moment and checks the boxes that they need to check. They tell themselves a story about what they're doing and why they're doing it, and that story has been shaped by their own unique experiences. So again, I think he words that so perfectly. And you guys know that I'm big on analogies, right? I just think they're really helpful in learning and really having a concept sink in. So Here's an analogy I want to give you on this point before moving on to the second point. You and your spouse are like a cookie and a brownie. They are similar enough in that they are both desserts. We can put them in the same dessert category, but we for sure wouldn't sit there and say that they're the same. They each require completely different ingredients. One bakes in a pan, one you bake in a tray. You cook them for different amounts of time at different temperatures. So yes, both desserts, both delicious, but because of the inputs, the ingredients that go into each, and because of the environment that they are baked in, you end up with two tasty treats, but they taste differently. And this is how you have to view yourself and people you have relationships with when it comes to your money beliefs and views. Now, sometimes a cookie will marry a cookie. But even then, you could have a chocolate chip cookie married to a snickerdoodle cookie, right? Again, they're both cookies, so they're more similar than a cookie and a brownie, but they're still not exactly the same. They're still different. Now, sometimes you will get really lucky, and a chocolate chip cookie will marry another chocolate chip cookie, where your inputs and your money environments and the baking instructions are exactly the same, but oftentimes that is not the case. What we see a lot of the times is the foundational similarities are there between the two people, right? They're both desserts. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty details, the day-to-day living, we do have a lot of differences. 
And the tiny differences compounded up over time can really lead to a great divide if we're not doing the work to think about it in a helpful way. So this is the first point I need you to recognize in your spouse, partner, significant other, or anyone else that you're in a relationship with where you don't necessarily see eye to eye on their money choices. They're not crazy and you're not crazy. They're not wrong and you're not wrong. They're not right and you're not right. You each are coming to the choices and the decisions that you are making about money from different inputs, which in our dessert example is the ingredients, and different environments, which would be the baking instructions in our analogy. In real life, okay, think about it. In real life, we would never expect to make a dessert or to make a meal that has completely different ingredients and completely different baking instructions and wind up with the exact same treat or dish that tastes similar. We would understand that different inputs and different ingredients under different environments are going to lead to a different outcome. And it's the same in your relationship. You have to recognize that there will be differences, but differences don't have to mean division, you guys. Differences don't have to mean division. This realization is really going to help you move away from divisive actions and conversations like you're crazy. What were you thinking? That's so stupid. I'm right. You're wrong. None of that language is helpful. The most constructive place that we can start is the recognition that when it comes to money, no one is crazy. Not me, not you, not your spouse. Now, the second helpful thing to do after having that realization at our foundation is spending some time exploring your own money manual and getting really clear on what your money manual is. Now, I've actually already done an entire episode on what a money manual is. It was released about a year ago, so it's been a while, but it's episode 15, and the episode is titled Your Money Manual. So if you want to explore that deeper, go listen to that episode after this one. But in case you haven't listened to it or it's been a while and you need a refresher, Your Money Manual is your rule book for how people should behave with money. And it's called a manual because it's kind of like a rule book. It's a set of standards that typically we hold ourselves to, but we also hold other people to. Now, we have manuals for every aspect of life. Our manuals are how we think other people should act based on the way that we view the world. And ultimately, the number one reason that we have manuals is so that we can have a sense of control and we can manipulate the way that we feel. We want others to behave in a certain way so that we can feel a certain way. Now, if you've been here long enough, what you will start to realize is is that manuals are kind of pointless because our feelings don't actually come from the words and the actions of other people. Other people cannot create an emotional response in you until you have a thought or belief about it. It's our own thoughts and beliefs that create our own emotional state. But a lot of people don't realize that, right? A lot of people operate and live under the assumption that their emotions are at the mercy of what other people say and do. And because of that, we create manuals for people. So we say, hey, I need to feel a certain way. And so in order for me to feel a certain way, you need to follow all these rules. One specific part, or we could even call it a chapter of your overall larger manual, is your money manual, which means what are all the rules around money that you think that you should follow, and also that you think that other people should follow. We all have a money manual. 
even though at the end of the day, like I said, they're kind of pointless, right? You may not even realize that you have one, but you do have one. I have one. We all have one. And it's important to recognize that all of the inputs that you've absorbed throughout your lifetime, the unique environment that you grew up in, the media you consumed, your education, your caretakers, all of those inputs that we were just talking about in that first step, all of those things go up into making your money manual. Now, the tricky thing about your manual is that, again, because it's money, you just think that it's fact. And you think that everyone should agree. And you think that other people should live their financial lives according to your money manual. But we all have different manuals that say different things and that have different rules. And that's the sticky part. So you have a money manual that you expect your spouse to follow. And your spouse has a money manual that they think that you should be following. And more than likely, those manuals do not match up perfectly. So here are some examples of common things that I see in people's money manuals. This is just a very short list. People's money manuals are literally made up of hundreds of these rules and thoughts and beliefs. So just a common few. People shouldn't have consumer debt. You should save X amount out of each paycheck. You shouldn't spend money on X, Y, or Z. The man should be the one who pays. You shouldn't talk about money. It's tacky. The man should be the primary breadwinner and support his family financially. Again, a short list, but these are all examples of things that fill up people's money manuals. And it's interesting to note that typically the things that make up our manuals are beliefs or thoughts that we treat as universal fact. Even some of these things that I've listed to you, you might be like, no, that's true, right? Like, no, people shouldn't have consumer debt. No, the man should always pay. But what I always tell you guys is that for something to be a fact, rather than just your thought or belief, every single person on earth must agree. I like to say that it needs to be able to be proven in a court of law. So although you might find a lot of people who agree with you that you shouldn't have consumer debt, there's probably just as many people who don't believe that because they view debt differently. They view it as a tool to grow their money into more money. Again, I'm not saying that's the best strategy for everyone, but we can go out into the world and we can find a lot of people who aren't following the rules in your manual. This is what makes manuals hard and frustrating is when people don't follow them, again, because we think that these are the rules of the world that everyone should follow. And when people don't follow them, we're confused and we're frustrated because it feels unsafe and threatening. And also because we think that other people's life choices, especially other people's financial choices, have power over our emotions. So this second step is actually taking the time to realize what exactly makes up your money manual. We go through life thinking, no, this is just the way things are. This is just what people should believe. And this is how people should behave. Not even realizing that this is actually just the way that you see money and the world based on all your unique inputs over your lifetime. But what is in your money manual? What is it actually consisted of? When it comes to the relationship with your spouse, knowing your money manual is really helpful so that you can ultimately realize the rules that you are expecting your spouse to follow. And then you can realize, oh, this is just my manual for them. This isn't actually fact. It's not necessarily the right way. It's just the way that I view the world. Now, like I said, your spouse also has a manual. 
So the second part of this step, let's call it to be, is uncovering what your spouse's money manual is. What are the rules that they have about money that they are expecting other people, including you, to follow? It's helpful to know your manual, but it's just as helpful to know your partner's manual because they each contain incredibly valuable insights and information for you two working together to manage money as a shared resource and as a team. Now, your next question might be, well, how do I figure out what my partner's money manual is? Like, do I just go up to him or her and explain this concept of the manual and then just straight out ask them, like, so tell me what your money manual is? <laughs> and my answer is no, don't do that. That approach probably won't get you much information and your partner could also think that you're a little crazy. The bad news about this part is that it can be a process and it can take time and patience to learn your partner's money manual. But the good news is, in our relationships with our partners or our spouses, time is something that we have. It's something that we have at our disposal with them. So this second step of uncovering your money manual and your spouse's money manual plays really nicely into the third step of this process, which is always leading with my most favorite emotion, which is curiosity rather than criticism. Curiosity over criticism. I want you to view every decision that your partner makes around money, the way that they save, the way that they spend, and especially the decisions that they make around money that you don't agree with as an opportunity to understand them on a deeper level and an opportunity to learn their money manual. Again, so many couples try to impose and enforce their manuals on their partners, and they do that by leading with criticism about the choices that their partner has made. And very rarely does criticism get you anywhere or lead to any meaningful progress. I want you to just take a second to think about how it feels to you when you're criticized. How does criticism feel? What actions does it lead to? I know that for me, anytime that I feel criticized or judged, I shut down. I detract, I stop talking, and I isolate myself. Not everyone has that same response. Some people fight back and they get defensive and they might yell. But criticism that isn't constructive, it feels unsafe to us, which means that our fight or flight response kicks in and no progress is made. When it comes to our partners and their money decisions, we sometimes think that criticism is the most effective response. We think, this isn't right. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have bought that. And I'm going to let them know that I don't agree. But what if instead of immediately defaulting to criticism, we started each conversation and interaction with curiosity instead? Curiosity will always get you so much farther than criticism ever will. I promise you. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a session with one of my coaching clients and I was coaching her on a disagreement that her and her husband were having about how they wanted to spend their Christmas budget for their kids. So she wanted to spend their budget on gifts, physical gifts that her kids could open on Christmas morning. And her husband wanted to spend their Christmas budget on experiences for the kids that they could make memories of and do together as a family. Now, their first interaction was a fight between the two of them because they didn't see eye to eye. 
And she was viewing it as having to spend money on experiences was taking away and detracting from what she wanted to do. It meant less money that she could spend on presents for her kids to open. She told her husband that she didn't agree, that she didn't think it was a good idea, that she would rather have the kids have something physical that they could keep for a long time rather than just an experience that would last a couple of hours. And it was a situation that was filled with criticism and misunderstanding, and they weren't really reaching an agreement. Now, I told her, look, this is one of those situations where it can be very easy to find a middle ground, right? It's just the numbers. You take the Christmas budget, you spend half on the gifts, and you spend half on the experiences, and you call it a day. Each person gets a little bit of what they want. Everyone moves on. And my client recognized this. Her and I recognized this, right? It was like, okay, yeah, I get it. We can split the Christmas budget 50-50, but it still bothers me, right? Like, I just, I don't agree. And honestly, I think it's dumb. So what we spent a lot of time working on was shifting out of the criticism and into curiosity, getting deeper than just, oh, we'll split it 50-50. But instead, it became the question of why. Why is it so important to your husband to spend money on experiences? Why is that something that's important to him? Where does the significance to him come from? Because it's not just coming out of nowhere, right? It has an origin. But what is that origin? You guys, this is what I'm saying. Every difference in opinion, every mismatched viewpoint is an opportunity to deepen the connection, to increase the intimacy between the two of you by understanding that it's an opportunity to understand your partner deeper. So I told my client, I want you to go back after we talk and I want you to dig deeper. I want you to have a conversation with your husband about it. I want you to use this as an intentional point of connection with you and your husband. Take the time to understand the significance of the experiences for your husband. And also, explain to your husband the importance of the gifts for you. Again, y'all, disagreement doesn't have to lead to disconnection. It can be the opposite. Disagreement can actually be the starting point of deepening the financial intimacy between the two of you. Now, getting curious about your spouse's choices is one side of the coin. But on the other side of the coin, again, this is kind of like 3A and 3B, it's just as important to get curious about yourself and what is going on in your own model. So to show you what I mean here, I'm going to give you a personal example of how I have done this with myself and with a difference in viewpoint between Ryan and I. So my husband, Ryan, is just someone who is very generous financially. And this mostly manifests itself when we receive some sort of service that requires a tip. He's a very generous tipper. He always has been ever since I met him. Like, it is not uncommon for us to go out to dinner and for him to leave a 30 to 50% tip when we eat out. So I don't know if you guys know, but if you have Capital One or you may have seen the Capital One commercials, whenever you leave a big tip, Capital One will send you an alert and it'll be like, we noticed that you left a 30% tip. We noticed that you left a 50% tip at Efratelli Pizza. Was this a mistake or did you mean to do that? Y'all, I get those alerts from Capital One like on a daily basis. Okay. It's just like, it's just his thing. It's just what he does. He just likes to tip people, especially that give him great service. He just wants to be very financially generous in that way. He also gives money anytime he's asked for it. Okay. Anytime anyone is doing a fundraiser, he's given money. Girl Scouts are selling cookies, he's buying some. He always donates to his alumni associations. 
Yesterday, we were walking into Kroger and there was a guy at a table sitting outside that was collecting money for homeless veterans. And most people are just ignoring this guy and just walking by. Ryan goes over and he gives the guy $40 out of his wallet. My husband truly is one of the most financially generous people I've ever met. And as terrible as this sounds, <laughs> it used to drive me crazy, like absolutely nuts. I used to get so worked up when we would go out to dinner and we would get the bill and Ryan would be signing for the bill and he would just leave a huge tip. Or when I would see that someone at his work was doing a fundraiser for their kids and he donated $100 to it. Y'all, I know this sounds terrible, but it used to make me so mad, so mad. Now, for years, I tackled this issue with criticism. I would get mad and angry and I would tell him to stop giving away so much of our money. Again, I know this sounds so bad, y'all, but that's honestly what I did. But do we actually think that that fixed the problem? Of course it didn't. He didn't stop because at the end of the day, what I was failing to realize was that I was asking him to be someone who he wasn't. I was asking him to go against his unique money manual and to follow mine, which apparently somewhere in mine I had, we need to take care of ourselves financially before we're taking care of other people. Now, after a while of this happening and realizing that nothing was going to change and he wasn't going to stop, and I continued to get more and more frustrated, I decided to try to understand why this was so important to my husband and why this mattered to him, what he got out of it curiosity, okay? A desire and an effort to understand why the things that matter to your partner matter to them, why they view some things as a good use of finances, and what things do they view as a not so great use of finances? What is it that they are getting out of these financial decisions that they're making? And after shifting out of the criticism and into curiosity around this area, I started to understand better why this is something that was so important and why it really mattered to him. And that's the first part of this process like we talked about, is getting curious about your partner. But then the second part of this, 3B, is I also had to get really curious with myself, which is why I'm telling you this example and why it's just as important and necessary. I had to really evaluate my own model around this circumstance. So the circumstance would be, that we go out to dinner and my husband left a 40% tip. But then it's getting curious with myself on why is that a problem to me? Why am I so bothered by that? Remember, at the core of it, the 40% tip is just the neutral circumstance. It doesn't mean anything until I assign it meaning through my thoughts and beliefs about what should and shouldn't be happening. But it really took me stepping away from my manual, dropping my manual, and evaluating, okay, what is the primary thought that I'm having when something like this happens? And through that level of curiosity with myself, I realized that my surface level thought was he shouldn't be spending this much money on a tip. But then I had to keep digging deeper with myself. And you guys, keep digging until you really get to the root of the problem, okay? Sometimes we have surface level thoughts that we need to continue to interrogate and peel back the layers of, and we need to keep asking ourselves, why, 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 going deeper until we really get to the real issue. So my surface level thought was, he shouldn't be spending this much money on a tip, which when I dug deeper and I asked, well, why? Why is that? Why is it a problem that he tipped 40%? Why do I think that's not acceptable? Why is it too much? 
I realized that I had the deeper thought because we need that money for other things. That money could be used for something that we need. And then when I started to dig deeper on that thought, I realized that at the core, the foundational thought, belief, and really the fear that I had was the belief that we didn't have enough money and that we were going to run out, that what we had wasn't sufficient. It was fear and scarcity that was really at the foundation of my initial criticism of Ryan. This is what getting curious with yourself looks like, you guys. It's a commitment to understanding your partner on a deep level, but just as importantly, you have to be committed to looking deeper within yourself to understand what's really going on within you. If your partner makes a financial decision that triggers you, a spending choice that upsets you, why? Why does it trigger you? What thoughts and beliefs do you have about it? What emotions does it evoke within you? What rule in your manual is it breaking? What are you scared of? What are you fearful of? What are you resistant to feeling? Get curious about yourself, you guys, because here's a realization I came to a while back. Being in a relationship means that you have two people with two different belief systems trying to manage, in many cases, a shared resource. And that is not an easy thing to do. All relationships have to have a level of compromise, of course, and open communication, and we're all just doing the best that we can. But too many of us, especially when it comes to money, are waiting on our partners to change and to shape up and to start following our manuals before we are willing to do any work on ourselves. And this isn't to say that you shouldn't communicate your needs and your wishes and what you'd like to see happen. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm also telling you from personal experience, especially when it's feedback that's dripping in criticism, is that it's not a guarantee of changed behavior. Just because you have a manual doesn't mean your spouse has to or is going to follow it. A cookie doesn't just magically become a brownie just because you want it to be. And of course, I believe that any successful relationship requires two people coming to the table, willing to constantly improve for the sake of the relationship. But I also feel that too many of us are defaulting to trying to change our partner before we're willing to put in the work to understand and change ourselves first for the better. The hard truth, y'all, is that so often we forget that our partners are never perfect. Actually, we don't really forget that point. We know that point, right? The point that we forget is that we're not perfect either. And so it is important that we look inward first at our own thoughts and beliefs and insecurities before trying to change and manipulate others in an attempt to feel better. Because, like I said, that never works. Other people do not have the power over your emotions. So trying to change them so you can feel better never works in the long run. And ultimately, all it does is it just continues to lead to more frustration. And of course, that's not what I want for you. So that's what I have for you this week, you guys. And here are the main takeaways I want you to walk away with from this episode. First, remember when it comes to money and the decisions that we make with money, no one is crazy not you, not your spouse, the way that we view the world and the role and purpose that money serves in that world has been created through thousands of unique inputs pieced together in a unique environment. There's no right and wrong. There's just the way that we all view things through our unique lens. Secondly, 
after having that recognition at the foundation, you got to realize that every single person, you and your spouse, you both have a money manual. It's our money rule book of how we think we should behave and others should behave. And you have to take time to understand what your money manual is and also what your spouse's is. And the way that we do that is by shifting out of criticism and into curiosity. Curiosity of our partners and curiosity of ourselves. Using every single decision, every interaction, every disagreement as an opportunity to understand your partner on a deeper level. This curiosity will bring you closer together rather than pushing you farther apart. Rather than dividing you, it will deepen the connection between the two of you. Your partner is going to do things that you don't understand. They're going to spend money on things that you think is dumb. They're going to leave a 40% tip when you probably would have left a 20% tip. They're going to want to do things that you don't agree with. It's going to happen. I have never known of a single couple that was totally and completely 100% financially aligned. But the goal is not agreeing with your partner 100% of the time. And the goal is not to be 100% aligned. It's being committed to building and strengthening the financial intimacy within your relationship, to making that a priority. And sometimes that is the recognition that disagreement is actually the entryway and an opportunity to get to know each other better and to understand each other on a deeper level. It is possible for all of us. And again, if you don't have a spouse, a significant other, a fiance, take these tools and use it with someone that you feel frustration with when it comes to their financial choices, a parent, a sibling, a friend a business partner. It doesn't matter. This can all be applied to any relationship that you have where you're feeling frustration, annoyance, and there's definitely a divide on financial choices. All right, you guys, that is what I have for you this week. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share this episode far and wide. Feel free to share it with your spouse or partner. Feel free to share it with other women in your life who you know could hear this message. And as always, I will ask at the end of this episode, if you have two minutes just to leave a review on iTunes, it would mean the absolute world to me. Like I've told you guys, I've mentioned this in a past episode, I'm going to be launching a giveaway every single month starting in 2022. And to be entered in that giveaway, you have to leave a review of the podcast. So if you want to just go ahead and jump on that so that come 2022, you're already entered for the first giveaway in January, go ahead and do that. You have to go to iTunes, give the podcast a five-star review, and you do have to write something. Otherwise, I can't see that you've left a review. But go ahead and do that and you will be entered. And I will be giving more details on that come 2022. All right, you guys. Have a fantastic week. Love you all. Bye-bye. Hey, girl. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in Overcoming Overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, the student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled, purposeful, and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. 
you have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.